Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, through this Lent season, we are continuing on the Red Letter Challenge. And if you're new with us, you may not know what that is. So just really quickly, the Red Letters part refers to how some English versions of the Bible print the words of Jesus in red so that they really just pop out. And the idea with this challenge is to take those red letters, the words of Jesus, and do them. Put them into practice. Do what he says. It's really as simple as that. And throughout this challenge, as we do that, there's these five themes, these five areas of focus that begin to emerge. The five areas are being and forgiving, serving, giving, and going. And so each week, our message has revolved around one of those themes. And we've already covered being, as in being with Jesus, that reality that we need to be with Jesus so that we can be filled up to overflowing, so that before we go out to do anything, we have something of beauty and substance and value to give, something that has come from our identity and from our security in God. Last week, we talked about forgiving, both receiving and giving uh, forgiveness. And we won't have any show of hands or anything, but just asking, how's it going? Because forgiveness is beautiful and forgiveness is hard. Today, we get into serving, and as we do, I'm wondering, have you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? You know, I I actually, I'll be honest, I haven't seen very much of it, but if you haven't seen it, the way the show works is that a CEO or some senior executive of a large company goes and visits local branches or local franchises of the company to see how things are going. Check on how things are being run, how the managers are treating the employees, and all sorts of other things. And actually, at the end of January, uh, the CEO of Rita's Italian Ice came to Tom's River. She visited the Fisher Boulevard branch, a relatively new franchisee, and she did discover some challenges that they were having over there. If, If you've ever been to that particular Rita's and waited in an incredibly long line, It might be because they were still using dial-up modem to process credit card transactions. Yeah, dial-up modem. (laughs) And then ran into a number of other things. But the crazy part about the show is that the boss is undercover. This franchisee thought that he was just, you know, touring for the day another possible Rita's franchisee. Telling, showing her the ropes of what it's like, and the CEO the whole time is just kind of playing dumb. Until that point in every one of these episodes where the boss reveals her or himself. And the reactions of the local managers or the local franchisees are widely varied, as you can imagine. Probably often based on how well they think things went, right? But there's almost always shock. One of the other franchisees in the Rita's episode said, I'm just annoyed. I'm annoyed that this whole thing is happening. Of course, she had just gotten busted. 
There's anger sometimes. There's embarrassment. These reactions all come from a place of not really knowing who this person was. And then when they reveal themselves, they reveal themselves as someone who has significant authority. And this is the experience that we're going to read about, the teaching from Jesus as we move into the theme of serving. And so you can follow along. On the screen, as we read from Matthew chapter 25 this morning, these are the words of Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the, separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates, separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you, clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments, you knew we would be here. You knew that this time would be carved out in our lives. And so, Lord, we offer it to you to use for your good, your will, and your purposes. May you be at work within us and through us conforming us to your image and your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a pretty intense scene that Jesus has painted. He's given this vivid picture of what's going to happen when history comes to a close. Because history is going somewhere. And where it's going is right to this glorious throne. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm bringing my angels with me, and I'm going to sit on a glorious throne, and then all of the nations of the earth will be gathered before me. And the peoples will be separated. Some will be separated as sheep on the right, others as goats on the left. There's really no significance about the animals. It's just this was a common practice that they would have understood. is the point is clear. They're being separated for judgment. And the separation is actually indicative of the verdict that they will receive. Those on the right will all receive the same 
and those on the left will all receive the same. To those on his right, he says, come, come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you before the creation of the world. Oh, to hear those words from Jesus, how amazing. Come, you who are blessed. A blessing from God, an inheritance that can never spoil, that will last forever, a security and identity, eternal life from the Father himself. What an amazing thing to hear. To those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. A vivid, clear warning Jesus is giving that judgment is in fact coming. And I know we don't like to think about that a lot. But in telling us this, God is affirming that our lives matter, that what we think, what we do, our choices all matter because our lives, our history is going somewhere. And this is an incredible source of hope when we look and see the, the events of the world happening right now, the, the atrocities, the horrors, the terrors, the injustice. This gives us a hope because Jesus is saying, when I come back, I'm going to fix all of this mess. There will be justice. It will be served. Man, we need justice. But this passage also reminds us very clearly that justice will not just be served against those nation states who invade another nation state, but will in fact come to all people as we stand before his glorious throne for judgment. And Jesus gives very clear criteria for the separation for this judgment. He says it's all about service. It's all about how we have treated those who are hungry, who are thirsty, those who are strangers, those who are in need of clothes, those who are sick, those who are in prison. It's all about service. And the sheep on his right have served. And so they're called righteous. And righteous is a very a churchy word if we're not careful. So we've got to pause for long enough to think about what does it really mean. The righteous, righteous is, are those whose lives conform rightly to the will and character of God. The righteous are those whose lives conform rightly to the will and character of God, which is part of why we need to know God more deeply, because if we want to seek His righteousness, to be righteous is to seek to be like Him. So we need to know Him so that we can become like Him. And so these sheep, the righteous, whose lives conform to the will and character of God, serve and they say to the king, Wait, when? When did we see you and serve you? When did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? When? When did we visit you? And on that day, the king, we're told, will reply, will say to them, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the, one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What an incredible reality. That when you serve, especially when you serve those who are considered the least, those who are the lowest rung on the ladder of our society, when you serve the least one of these, you are serving Jesus himself. And Jesus is affirming that every single human life, every single person, has an incredible dignity, worth, value, and splendor. C.S. Lewis was a uh, it was actually an English professor in the 20th century, but he was also a, a profound, deep thinker and, and Christian. 
And reflecting on, on the reality of humanity, he, he captured this in a series of sermons, which are now in a, a book called The Way to Glory. He, he says it this way. He says, it may be possible for each one of us, for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, when we get to the hereafter, when the day of judgment comes, it may be possible for us to think about ourselves too much, to think about our potential glory, to think about what we will receive and what we'll, we will become. It could be possible for us to think about our own potential far too much. But he goes on and he says this, it is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. He's saying on that day, that day of judgment, we have no idea how amazing, how inspiring, how terrifying, how awe-inducing, how horrible or beautiful our neighbors will become. The other people to your left and to your right. And so our only appropriate posture is humility to them in this life so that in our arrogance later we are not shocked. All of this because Lewis concludes there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. What Lewis is getting at is that there are no, there are no ordinary people. You look around and every single human has an immensity of glory and majesty. Every human is created in the image of God. Every single one. So think about those people who annoy you most. Yep, created in the image of God. Think about the, the list of all-time worst humans. Yeah, even them created in the image of God. There's no such thing as an ordinary human. They are all precious to him, made to uniquely and wonderfully display his character and his will and his image to live righteously in the world. And yet, we tend to categorize people, don't we? We tend to put people in buckets based on how far or how close to them we will become and how much we will or will not interact with them, the more or less willing we are to serve them. And Jesus is saying, serve even the least of these. And so, who do you serve? Who do you naturally serve? Who are you excited to serve? I'll tell you who it is for me, if I'm honest. It's those who I'm comfortable with, those who smell relatively nice, those who are predictable, those who are communicative, those who it feels good to serve them, to be with them. And this came out really clearly for me when I was a chaplain preparing for pastoral ministry. I spent the summer full-time as a chaplain in a hospital in a hospice program, and this put me in all sorts of situations I had never been in my life. I had never been in a nursing home before. Never had been with those who were on death's doorstep. 
And some of the facilities that I went into were pretty rough, and some of the situations that people were in were so challenging for me who had no experience, no perspective, and I was so uncomfortable. And some of the smells were terrible, and I was offended by them. And I'd never heard some of the sounds that I heard coming out of humans like this. And I was called into these rooms to visit with people who, some of whom were totally unable to communicate or they would say things that were so incoherent that I, I didn't know what to do with it. And it challenged every single bit of me. Because I was there, I, I was there to serve. And it challenged my understanding of even what did it mean to serve. Because so often I think if we're honest when we start thinking about for, for us what does it mean to serve, I think it means something like you know what, I'm going to fix something for you. I'm going to solve a problem for you. I'm going to go ahead and take something off of your back, and by the way, you're going to probably want to thank me for it. You're welcome. And this teaching from Jesus presses us to get serious about this question. What does it mean to serve? Who is it that we serve? See, even many on the, the list that Jesus explicitly references, these are folks that are downtrodden. Those who are suffering, and in Jesus' day, there was a straight-line assumption between how well your life was going and how obedient you were to God. And so if you're good and obedient, then God will bless you. And if you are not good and obedient, then you will not be blessed. And so these people in Jesus' list, obviously, they're not blessed by God, and if they aren't blessed by God, it must be their fault. And if it's their fault, then they aren't worthy of being served. They did it to themselves. Or, Or are they? See, there are no ordinary people. Even those who did it to themselves, all precious, created in the image of God, worthy of being served. And when we serve the least of these, we serve Jesus. And we could easily read this passage, and it could could totally get us off track in our faith. Because you could read this passage as like a must-do command and turn this entire criteria of serving into a checklist where we can make a plan. We can identify all the peoples who need to be served, and then we can go ahead, go out, and serve them so that then we can look back on what we've done, and we can say, okay, good, we're doing it. We must be the good. We must be the righteous. Eternal life, here we come. And we could easily reduce life to checking this this list of boxes to prove we're worthy of God's blessing, his acceptance, and eternal life. But here's the reality. We'll never serve enough. We'll never serve enough people in enough ways to prove that we somehow are good enough, that we are somehow perfect. All it would lead is to an endless hamster wheel of exhausting service. Don't miss the reality that in this passage, in this teaching that Jesus gives, they were all surprised. They were shocked. The undercover boss revealed himself, and they were shocked at who they saw. The unrighteous were surprised. When did we see you? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or needing to be visited or or naked and not help you? And they may have been thinking, hey, you know what? Everyone that I came across that I can think of, I served. Jesus, you, you must have it wrong because we've done it. 
it's so easy. We could start taking just like they. I think they were taking an inventory of their lives. And I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done this, and I held that door for that little old lady, and I helped her walk across the street. And then, you remember that one Friday night? I didn't go out with my friends. Instead, I spent it serving. So, Jesus, when did we see you and not help you out? We've helped every time we've seen. Oh, but maybe that's what Jesus is getting at. Maybe the problem is that they don't even see. And how easy is it not to see? It's so easy, isn't it? You see enough Save the Children commercials, and you just change the channel. I do. We see enough people that are hurting, starving, suffering. We see enough people with addictions and destroying homes. We see enough immigrants fleeing from this tragedy and that chaos. And man, it's so easy to just put our heads down and get so caught up in our lives, in what we want to have happen, to get so self-absorbed with our plans that we just don't see anymore. And maybe Jesus is saying, hey, it's time to look up. Because there is a world full of people struggling, a world full of people that I love, people made in my image. Do you see them? The unrighteous are surprised because they think they've done it all, confident that they have seen and they have served, and Jesus might be challenging us to say, have you seen? But the righteous are just as surprised as the unrighteous, aren't they? When did we see you and serve? When did we see you, they say. And what's so clear in this is that the righteous aren't keeping score. If they were trying to prove their righteousness, if they were trying to prove that they're worthy of blessing, if they were trying through the way they lived to check all the boxes to prove that they're worthy of God's love and acceptance and blessing, don't you think that they would have a pretty good idea of who they've served and when? Of course they would. Because this is how they'd be measuring their worth. Yeah, Jesus, I remember when you were hungry and I fed you. Yeah, I remember when you were sick and we brought the soup. I remember when you were in prison and we visited you. They're not trying to prove their goodness through serving. They're just living their lives. The righteous don't serve because it'll make God love them. They don't serve because it looks good on a resume. They don't serve because it will lead to greater spheres of influence and opportunity. They don't serve because it feels good to them. They serve because this is one of the features that has defined their lives. Because they've been touched and blessed by Jesus, by the one who says very clearly, he didn't come to be served but to serve. And the righteous are just living, as Habakkuk 2 said earlier, by faith. The righteous live by faith, by trusting not in themselves as good enough, but trusting that God is the one who saves them, the one who loves them, that God is the source of all good things, that God is the source of their food, their clothes, their health. They didn't do anything to deserve it. If we turn around and we say, of course I deserve health, of course I deserve to eat, of course I deserve shelter, of course I deserve this, that's called entitlement, not faith. The righteous know they don't deserve. The righteous know that it is all a gift from God, and the gift is what changes them. The gift of Jesus Christ changes them because the righteous know, no, I am sick and sick in my soul. 
I'm a prisoner of myself, my self-interest, my self-absorption. I'm a prisoner to sin. I don't deserve your goodness. The righteous know that they are hungry and they are thirsty for meaning and significance and love, and they've been looking for it in all of these other places. They feel and know that they are exposed and naked and yet trust that Jesus has clothed their shame and their sin with his life, his death, his resurrection, and it's all a gift. And so this, this passage invites us to not prove our worth, but to allow what Jesus has done to transform us, to realize that the Son of God came to serve you. And if that's not humbling, that, that your life and hope for eternity required God to come and serve in the form of a human, and it humbles us, and as C.S. Lewis reminded us earlier, only humility can carry the weight and the enormity of the world that's in need, the world that is full of no ordinary people that has neighbors who are glorious and beautiful. And so we are humbled when we look at the cross and we see the lengths that Jesus has gone to serve us. And so we can humbly turn around and serve others because we have not served to the lengths that he has. And so as we enter into this week of serving, the question that's for us is, who are you serving? Are you serving? Is service a regular part of just living? Is it part of what defines your day-to-day -day living? You don't necessarily have to schedule serving. You can serve anywhere and anytime. But, you just, but to be able to do that, we have to see the others around us. And perhaps, if we have a greater security in God's love for us, knowing that He has served us to the point of death on a cross to prove that you are worthy of His love, to prove that you are already in His eyes precious, then maybe we don't have to worry about protecting ourselves so much, and we can lift our eyes and we can start to see others around us, to see their need, to move toward them, and to serve, to see those who are hungry and naked and thirsty and strangers among us and those who are in prison. So who do you see? Who has God put in your path to serve? And maybe it's even just in your own family. Sometimes serving our family can be the hardest. And I'm grateful for, for who we see and serve as a church together. I'm grateful for our work through the Hope Center that collectively we see the homeless in Ocean County that for 40 plus years, our county government has refused to recognize that we have a homeless challenge. I'm grateful that we can stand with them, that next weekend we can walk to bring awareness to this reality. I'm grateful that we can serve the working poor of which there are so many in our area through the Hope Center. I'm grateful that we can serve seniors through our partnership with caregivers of Central New Jersey and some of you give rides to doctor's offices and make calls and, and do visits. I'm grateful for our support for those who are struggling with addiction and those families that are broken up because of it through our work with Hope Sheds Light. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the gift that God gave us through Michael Barozzi of, of being able to start a special needs ministry where we can see some of those who are precious and beautiful, created in the image of God that are worthy of being served because of their God-given dignity. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for the children's and youth ministries and everyone who gives of their time to serve in church school, to come alongside small groups, to make sure that our young people in the next generation can know what Jesus has done to serve them. 
And we need more. We need more people to step into those ministry areas that are so important. But who are we missing? Who are we not seeing? Because to serve, we have to see. But to serve, the other last thing is we need time, don't we? Because kind of by definition, serving is an investment of ourselves in the life of another. And I know most of us are not sitting around going, you know what, I just have this excess of time and I've just been looking for some good things to do with it. I know that that's not what most of us are thinking. thinking I don't... But guess what, there's some good news for that as well. Actually came from a, from a series of studies that were done by Casey McGillner, who's a professor at uh, the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. And I was reading an interview with her in the Harvard Business Review this week, and at the end of these studies, she, she said this, the results show, the results of all these studies show that giving your time to others can make you feel more time affluent and less time constrained than wasting your time, spending it on yourself, or even getting a windfall of free time. What she's saying is that even if we serve a little bit, we give a little bit of our time, this crazy thing happens. You'll feel like you have more time. That it happened over and over again, proved it in all these different kinds of tests. That it's amazing that when you serve others, you feel like you've been given back this gift of time, which obviously we know is not true. It's still the same amount of time. But we start to believe we have more time, even more than if we just sat back and kicked up our heels and relaxed for a couple of hours. It's this crazy thing that God has hardwired in us, us who are created in the image of a God who has chosen not just to be served, but to serve. And when we serve, we feel like we have more time. And so going into this week of serving, who, who will you see? I'm praying that we will see more clearly those whom God has put in our paths, that we'll see those who we are missing, and that we will take every opportunity to serve even the least of these. And as we do, know that we will serve Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that often we serve when we feel comfortable. We serve those who are worthy of our time and our investment we serve when it's convenient. We serve when we choose to see. Lord God, we want to be a people whose lives are characterized by you. We want to be those who, who conform to your will and your character. So Lord, give us the eyes to see all of humanity as no ordinary people. See them in their dignity, their glory, their majesty, to see even the least of these. God, will you show us who it is that we're missing? And may you give us the faith and the courage to boldly serve as you have served. In Jesus' name, amen.